Hebrews 11, we're going to start in verse 29, read to the end of the chapter. It should be on page 927. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Hebrews 11 and 29. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after the Israelites had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mocking and flogging and further chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, people of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts, on mountains, sheltering in caves and in holes in the ground. And these all, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us they would not be made perfect. The title of the message tonight is The Problem of Pain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. You are great and wonderful, glorious and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Tonight, as we come to your word, let us have open hearts and open minds to receive what you have for us in your Holy Spirit, to take the word and illuminate it, to use it, to let it be living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, to cut us where we need cutting, strengthen us where we need strengthening, and encourage us where we need encouraging. Fill me with your spirit, give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech, that I would speak your words and your ways for your glory. We ask all things in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Now, there's a sharp contrast in this passage in verses 29 through 32 and then verses 35 through or 33 through 35. We're given an exciting picture of faith filled believers experiencing great victories. Seas are parting. Walls are falling down. Uh, People are being uniquely spared. They're stopping the mouths of lion, extinguishing the violence of fires, being made strong in the midst of weakness, putting armies to flight and on and on it goes. But then. Toward the end of verse 35, there is a a switch that happens. And here we begin finding people who were scourged, imprisoned, stoned, sawn in two, lived their lives destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Now, as we look at this, one of the most important truths for us to recognize with this is this isn't meant to show us what life looks like for the faithful and what life looks like for those who aren't quite as faithful. Right, So the first part, those who experience these great victories by faith, they aren't the super saints who were right with God. And the second part, those who had the great suffering and the great trials, they aren't the second class saints who didn't quite have enough faith. The people in both groups were approved of God by their faith. We see in verse 2, we remember that the people of old gained their approval from God by faith. We see in verse 39. That all these, which is everyone mentioned from verses 32 on, they also gained their approval by faith. But they did not receive what was promised. Both groups 
were approved of by God. Both groups did what God wanted, the way God wanted done, and yet they had very different results. For some reason, God chose or allowed the second group of people to go through great pain and great anguish despite their faith and their faithfulness to Him. For some reason... God did not allow them to have the kind of victories the group and the first group had. And yet, despite their path of pain that they followed, they still remained faithful unto the end. And again, we know it was their faith, through faith, they kept going. It was their living faith enabled them to remain faithful unto the end. So our key truth tonight is the living faith enables us to push through the pain and remain faithful to the end. Now, there are at least four ways a living faith enables us to push through the pain and remain faithful to the end. We're only going to look at two tonight and then we'll finish our study in Hebrews 11 next week by looking at the last two. Number one, a living faith isn't surprised by pain. A living faith isn't surprised by pain. The most damaging and painful hits are often the ones we don't see coming. I'm sure we've all gone through times where we were blindsided by something hard. And it was so surprising and it hit so hard, we felt like laying down for the count. The force of the hit and the surprise of the hit combined to knock all the wind and all the fight out of us. And we've also probably gone through times where we saw something. And we knew the pain was coming. We knew the hit was coming. We were able to prepare for it. And while it still hurt, it wasn't as significant as the other because we were prepared. We were able to deal with it in advance and prepare ourselves for the hit. In a similar way, in our spiritual lives, when we expect a life following Jesus will produce health, wealth, ease, and then we get something else, it brutalizes us. And in order to guard against that, we have to be honest about the fact pain will come into our lives. I mean, just look at what it says these heroes of the faith endured. Mocking, flogging, chains of imprisonment, stoned, sawn in two, tempted, put to death with the sword, destitute, afflicted, tormented, wandered in the wilderness, wandered in the desert and in the mountains. They lived in caves and in holes on the ground. Now, without even taking the time to look into all, what all of those words mean in detail, we can say that all sounds really bad. One of my favorite pastors in times gone by commented on, on the fact these people aren't named. And he says, although the first group of faithful have names that will be remembered throughout history, the others remain nameless. And that's not because they lived a life of lesser faith, but because there were so many more of them. And I like that. The people who, through faith, pressed on in the midst of pain and remained faithful to the end are not named because there is just too many to name. Now, with this, we don't want to develop a defeated and discouraged attitude about the certainty of pain coming into our life. But we don't want to deny the reality of it either. We have to be able to face the brutal truth about the reality of pain 
in, in the path of life we live without losing heart. And the brutal truth is pain is a part of life. This was promised to us by Jesus. In the world you will have tribulation. Take courage, I have overcome the world. Any teaching saying God's absolute and total will for our lives is to be healthy, wealthy, free from pain is foolish. It is false. It is unbiblical. It is ungodly. And I believe it is pure evil. It does not hold up to the scrutiny of God's word. And it does not hold up to the reality of the world we live in. Just think about, for instance, Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah absolutely did what God wanted him to do when God wanted it done, the way God wanted him to see it done. And Jeremiah's life was difficult, to say the least. He was beaten, he was mocked, he was hated by his own people, and at one point he was tossed into a muddy hole and left to die. Think about the prophet Isaiah. Also, did what God wanted done, when God wanted it done, the way God wanted it done. Was not popular. And when it talks about some being sawn in half in Hebrews 11, most believe that refers to the prophet Isaiah. That a wicked king eventually sawed him in half while he was still alive. Think about Jesus. Surely for any Christian, any teaching to be Christian, it must be able to be reconciled to the life of Jesus. Jesus, of course, did exactly what the Father wanted. And the time the Father wanted it done, the way the Father wanted it done. Yet he was beaten, he was crucified, and he died. Now, some will respond to that and say, well, yeah. But that doesn't count because Jesus came for the specific purpose of dying for our sins. And that's true enough. However, did you know 1 Peter 4.1 tells us to arm ourselves with the same mind and the same attitude Jesus had. So we will be willing to suffer in the flesh. God's Word tells us Jesus suffered in the flesh and so we should be ready because we too will have to suffer in this life. We can think about the Apostle Paul who also did what God wanted done. He suffered hunger, beatings, mockings and other horrible trials. Think about the early church. They suffered horrible persecution under the Caesars because they wouldn't deny Jesus. Think about the reformers in church history. Many of them were burned alive because they stopped, they refused to stop preaching a gospel of grace and they thought the Bible ought to be translated into the language of the common person. Disciples of Jesus all over the world today will starve, be imprisoned, beaten, or martyred simply because they are disciples of Jesus. Are we to believe in each and every instance these people were outside the will of God? Are we really to believe none of these people had enough faith to just live an easy kind of life? Are we really to believe each and every one of these people was outside the will of God and so God was angry and punishing them for their sins, for their lack of faith? Or is it more likely and really more biblical to understand pain comes into everyone's life, even those who live their lives in the very dead center of God's will. So if our faith does not incorporate the reality of pain into our experience of life and our experience of our service to Jesus, our faith will not survive. Let me say that again. If our faith does not incorporate the reality of pain into our experience of life and our experience of serving Jesus, our faith will not survive. 
This isn't just my opinion. Let me show you this. Hold your finger here. We are coming back. But right now turn to Luke 8. Page 788. Luke 8. And look at verse 5. The sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell on the road, beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the sky ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and when it came up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. And yet other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as much. And as he said these things, he would call out, the one who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now his disciples began asking him what this parable meant. Now look down at verse 11. Now this is the parable. The seed is the word of God. And those beside the road are the ones who have heard. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart. So they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are the ones who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And yet these do not have a firm root. They believe for a while. In a time of temptation, they fall away. And the seed which fell among the thorns are they that have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked by worries and riches and pleasures of this life. And they bring no fruit to maturity. The seed in the good soil. These are the ones who have heard the word with a good and virtuous heart. Hold it firmly. Produce fruit with perseverance. Now, it's a familiar parable, the parable of the soils. Um, story illustrates the difference, the way people will hear and respond to God's Word in general and the Gospel in particular. As you look at the story, you quickly realize there is one sower who goes out and he sows one kind of seed. And as the one sower sows the one kind of seed, there are four different responses. And the four responses come because there are four different kinds of soil that the seed lands on. Right? The difference is not in the person who sows it. The person who sows it has a bag of seed and he scatters it like this everywhere. He has a bag of one kind of seed and he's scattering it everywhere. The difference is in the seed, is in where the soil or the seed lands. The soil, which the soil are the hearers. And we don't have time to get into all the different ways that people respond. There's only one that we're going to focus on tonight. And that is the second response. Look at verse 13. Those on the rocky soil are the ones who when they hear, receive the word with joy. And yet these do not have a firm root. They believe for a while. In a time of temptation, they fall away. Now, here's what happens. They hear. Or first in the soils, the the seed lands. It sinks in. But it doesn't go deep. And so when it starts to bear fruit, it starts to come up. The sun comes out, kills the, the root system, and it dies. Interpretation is someone hears the gospel of the kingdom. They hear the word of God. They receive it with joy. They like it. They embrace it. But they have a shallow faith. The word doesn't go deep into their heart. So they have this sort of shallow faith. They've responded with joy. Things seem to be going well at first. Um, And there's no evidence that they have a shallow faith until problems arise. 
And it says that in time of temptation, now the word temptation here, it doesn't necessarily mean a temptation to sin. In fact, that's it's not the word used for temptation to sin. It, in, in other translations, it is called a testing or a difficulty. So they have a shallow faith and then they go along fine so long as their life is fine. But then life gets difficult or to put it in the context of what we're talking about tonight, they begin to experience pain in their life. And because they have a shallow faith, they fall away. They believe for a while. They serve for a while. They go along for a while. But when things get hard, when they get to hurt, their shallow faith doesn't carry them through and they fall away. And this doesn't necessarily mean they become rabid atheists. Instead, it's far more likely they become bitter backsliders. And the reason I say they become bitter backsliders instead of rabid atheists is because most of the time they will continue to profess some sort of faith in Jesus. But what you'll see is a difference in the way they live their lives, the way they talk about Jesus, the way they talk about faith, the way they talk about the church, the way they talk about God's Word. The picture in Luke's Gospel is they receive the Gospel message with joy. They begin to live for Jesus. They come to church. They read their Bibles. They're involved. They're generally just maybe seem to be on fire for Jesus. But they have a shallow faith and it's not evident until problems and pain come into their life. I mean, the problems and the pain come into their life. They began to develop sort of a disappointment with God. They're doing their part. God should be doing His part. They're coming to church and doing the things they're supposed to do. God's part is then to keep their lives easy and free from problems. But He's not. And then the longer this pain goes on, the more their disappointment grows. And eventually, their disappointment becomes disillusionment. And it's generally at this point, their loss of devotion to Jesus becomes visible to others. Now, up to this point, most people just looking probably would not see any sort of a difference in their life. It's inwardly everything has been shifting. Inwardly, they are disappointed with God. Inwardly, they are becoming disillusioned. Inwardly, they are becoming bitter. They're becoming bitter because God isn't fixing it. God isn't making it better. God is supposed to do His part. Their inward devotion to Jesus has long since fallen by the wayside because their disappointment has been eating away at their faith. And they no longer see value in prayer because apparently God doesn't hear. They no longer see a value in reading God's Word because what's the point? They're doing their part and God's not doing His. They don't see the value of coming to church because, again, they they do their part and God's not doing his. And then when they become fully disillusioned and bitter, they're no longer able to maintain this illusion of their outward forms of devotion and they give up altogether. By this time, for many, their faith is virtually destroyed. And even though they may continue to verbally affirm faith in Jesus, They will not at this point until something massive shifts in their life. They will not live this faith out any longer and they will be bitter about their faith. 
And they will react angrily toward anyone who tries to encourage them in their faith. And there is a way to prevent this from happening, though. And it is to dig down deep. We can ensure this doesn't happen to us by ensure we are digging down deep and not having a shallow faith. There is a way to to do what we can to help prevent this in others. Go ahead and turn back to Hebrews 11. And that is to do what we can to help them dig down deep to ensure they don't have a a shallow faith. Now, the opposite of a shallow faith is a dynamic, a deep, and a living faith. And the number one way to ensure someone has a dynamic, deep, and a living faith is to faithfully read God's Word. Multiple studies have been done by groups like Barna Research, different megachurches that have more money than time, or money and time than anything else, and the American Bible Society to try to find out what makes the difference in those who have a deep dynamic and a living faith in Jesus and those who plateau or those who fall by the wayside. And in every study done, the number one factor is a personal time in God's Word. Those who take the time to faithfully read God's Word, believe it, understand it, dig into it, are, I don't know how many times more likely, multiple times more likely to have a dynamic, deep, and a living faith than those who only Listen when they come to church on Sundays and on Wednesdays. To put this in the context of the problem of pain. If we're faithful to study God's word, we won't be surprised by the problem of pain. Because God's word honestly and regularly tells us about the problem of pain in this life. God's word tells us. Sometimes we'll face pain in this life because of our devotion to Jesus. God's word will show us sometimes we face pain in this life because other people make bad decisions that negatively affect our lives. God's word will show us that sometimes we face pain in this life because we live in a fallen, sin-cursed world where bad things happen. God's word will repeatedly, honestly, openly Tell us pain is a part of life. And that's part of what the author of Hebrews is trying to get across to these people who are discouraged, who are downcast because they're having pain and they don't understand it. They're thinking about giving up. And what he's trying to tell them is what's happening to you in pain is not unusual. It is, in fact, just a regular part of living in this world. And if you have faith, you have pain. And if you don't have faith, you don't have pain. The difference is in the hope we have because of our faith in Jesus. A living faith enables us to push through the pain and remain faithful to the end because a living faith is not surprised by pain. Secondly, a living faith looks only at Jesus. One of the most detrimental things we can do to any area of our life is compare ourselves to others. Comparing ourselves to others has one of two negative impacts upon our lives always. On the one hand, it will discourage us. 
Because the people whom we're comparing ourselves to seem to be living so much more than we are. Seem to have so much more than we do. Seem to have this great better life than what we have. And so we look at them and we feel consistently discouraged by what they have, what they've experienced, what they've got that we haven't. Or two, comparing ourselves to others allows us to live in a level of mediocrity. Because we compare ourselves to others who live far below what Christ might have for them or far below their potential or or anything else. And so we look at them and we say, well, I'm not as good as they are, but I'm not as bad as they are. I'm fine. And so we will settle for a level of mediocrity that is not what God would have for us, what is not what the Spirit would do in us, which is not what the Bible would call us to. And what's true in our everyday physical lives is true in our spiritual lives as well. We cannot look at the spiritual lives, the path others follow, that God sends them on, and compare ourselves to them. Each one of us are unique humans, created in the image of God, and God has a unique path for us to follow. And in this path, God has a unique plan for our lives, a way in which we will uniquely Glorify His name and in which we will uniquely be blessed and will have good in our lives because of the path God has chosen. And the path God chooses for us is individual. The path God chose for me is not likely the path He'll choose for you. And the path God chooses for you is not likely the path He will choose for me. We see this often in God's Word. Two examples, quickly. One is Moses and Joshua. Moses stood before Pharaoh, led the people out of Egypt through their journeys in the wilderness. And throughout the time Moses led Israel, they rebelled against his leadership. They talked about killing him. They talked bad about his wife. They rebelled against God. They refused to enter the promised land. And they went through lengthy periods where God's judgment fell upon them because of their sin and their rebellion. And after 40 years of leading gripey, whiny people on a 40-year journey, God took Moses to the top of a mountain, let him look into the promised land, and then God killed him and took him to be with him. Moses was allowed to see the promised land, but not enter the promised land. But Joshua, Joshua took over from Moses, and it was like an entirely different group of people. Throughout the book of Joshua, they were basically faithful to God, with only one instance, and it was one guy. They gladly followed Joshua's leadership. They trusted God. They obeyed God. They not only entered the promised land, they conquered the promised land and were allowed to live in the promised land. Joshua's experience as leader of the people of Israel was vastly different than Moses' experience as leader. So was Joshua more successful than Moses? Was Joshua more faithful than Moses? Was God more pleased with Joshua than he was with Moses? Did Joshua have more faith in God than Moses? The answer to all these questions is no. Each of them had a particular path God had chosen for them. 
Their paths were different. And neither was to compare themselves with the other. They were simply to follow the path God had chosen. Let me show you one more example. Turn to John chapter 21. Page 829. Verse 15. Now when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. So this is Jesus restoring Peter. Right? Peter has denied knowing Jesus. He has fled and all of that has gone on. And now Jesus is reaching out to Peter, restoring him back to his being an apostle and the leader of the apostles. He asked, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter's like, yes, yes, and yes. So having affirmed that Peter loves him and received from him that he loves him, here's what Jesus says in verse 18. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to put on your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, someone will stretch out your hands and someone else will put your belt on you and bring you where you do not want to go. Now, to me, this would think this would be a strange thing to say. All your life, you've gone the way you've wanted to go, done what you wanted to do. But the day is going to come when somebody else is going to tell you what you're going to do. And then we're given the interpretation of what this means in verse 19. Now he said this indicating what kind of death he would die to glorify God. So Peter right now has realized his life is going to end badly. He loves Jesus. He's going to follow Jesus. And his following of Jesus is going to end badly. He's not going to peacefully die in his sleep. People are going to take him. They're going to dress him. They're going to force him to go somewhere. And they will kill him. Church history and tradition teach us he was crucified upside down because of his devotion to Jesus. And after explaining this to him, Jesus said to him, follow me. Okay, Peter, you said you love me. Here's what loving me means. Follow me. Now, Peter, hearing this, I think responds in a natural way. Peter turned around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also would lean back on his chest at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who is betraying you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, and what about this man? So G Peter has just been told by Jesus his life following Jesus is going to end badly. The path of discipleship for Peter ends in pain and certain death. Peter then looks around, sees the apostle John and says, what about that guy? And what he's meaning is pretty clear. Okay, Jesus, that's my path. 
That's his path too, though, right? Right? Peter is kind of saying, I, I, I will follow this path so long as everybody else gets the same deal I get. Right? I mean, if, if following you means pain and death, I'm there so long as pain, following you for them means pain and death as well. And look at what Jesus says to him. If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Jesus' response is, don't worry about him. He has his own unique path to follow. Follow me. Right? The, the path that I have for him is none of your business, Peter. I'm Lord, your servant. I'm master, your disciple. You don't worry about his path. You just choose to be faithful to the path I'm leading you on. Now, most people today want to be told and want to hear that everyone gets the John package, right? They get to go on with what could be a life of ease and pleasure and, and no one gets the Peter package. No one is going to follow Jesus and the path of following Jesus leads to a life of pain and certain death. But God's word teaches and life affirms. Some people get John's life, which is an old man on the Isle of Patmos writing the book of Revelation. And others get the Peter package and they get crucified upside down. We are unique individuals and we are on a unique path. And our unique path brings its own unique problems and our own unique pain. And this is God's intentional design for our lives. We cannot point to others who don't seem to be in as much pain as we are and say, what about them? We are very simply to follow wherever Jesus leads us, to go down the path he points us on. And if that is a path that is easy and does produce great physical earthly blessings, then so be it. And if it is a path of pain and certain death, then so be that as well. Our job is simply to look only to Jesus, to follow him. Sometimes we, we sing a song that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light. Of His glory and grace. Now, that is a very poetic line. Beautiful. But it's not just poetic language. It's based upon God's word. Look at Hebrews 12 and 1. Therefore since we also. Have such a great cloud of witnesses. All the people in Hebrews 11. Surrounding us. Let us rid ourselves. Of every obstacle. And the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So there's that the path God has for us. But notice, 
looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of our faith. Why do we look to Jesus even in the midst of pain? Because He, for the joy set before Him, endured the cross and the suffering and the pain it brought, despised its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And we're to consider Him who endured such hostility by sinners against Himself that we will not grow weary and lose heart. See, as we look at others We are sure to get discouraged. We are sure to be concerned. Because there are always people who have experienced more than we have. There are always people whose lives seem to be easier than ours are. And if for no other reason, then we only see the superficial of it and not the depth of it. And so looking at others is without fail going to discourage us. But if we look to Jesus and only at Jesus, we see the one who suffered far more than we have. His pain was far greater than ours. And he is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He is set in glory. And he has redeemed us. And He is calling us to Himself. And one day this life will be over. And when this life is over, we go to be with Him. And what we experience then is so much greater that the the struggles and the suffering of this life cannot be compared to it. We'll, We'll talk more about this next week. But I promise you, no one will stand before Jesus, who's at the right hand of the Father, at the throne of God, and will say, my life was too hard, it wasn't fair. They will stand before Jesus, and they will say it was worth it all. Because as much as I read your word, and as much as I understood your word, the half has not been told how great and glorious this is. This is why we keep our eyes on Jesus and we look only at Him. As long as we are focused on Him, we do not lose heart. I'm sure I'm on the path Jesus has for me. I do not lose heart. That doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't even mean we don't struggle with wondering and questions. But it means we don't fall away. We don't fall by the wayside. We're able to keep going and keep running. I can say, and I don't know if I could prove this from God's Word specifically, but I can say in my life, I can promise you, if I get discouraged about the difficulties, the hardships and the pain of my life, it is almost always because I've taken my eyes off of Jesus and I have put it on others who seem to not have the hardships and struggles I feel I'm having. And I think it's not fair. It's not right. And so we lift our eyes to Jesus. And we push on in the path He has for us. This is part of what the author of Hebrews 11 is telling them. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And you'll not lose heart. Look to Jesus and you'll not give up. A living faith enables us to push through the pain and remain faithful to the end because a living faith 
looks only at Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You today. You are great and wonderful. Help us tonight to take this and apply it to our lives. Father, as we set to follow the path You have laid out for us at times, it is difficult, it is painful, it is hard. Lord, if we have a living faith, we can persevere, we can push through, we can keep on and be faithful to the end. Help us, Father, with this. Help us to be sure our faith is deep and not shallow. To be in the Word and let it show us just how clearly difficulties come. How often they arise in the lives of your people. Let us look only to Jesus, the one who suffered on our behalf, who despised that shame and for the joy of our salvation endured the cross. Let us look to him and let us press on focused on him so that we not become discouraged, that we not despair and give up. Have your way in our lives. Show us the path to follow and let us pursue it with all our heart. We ask in Jesus name and for his sake. Amen.